Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How is Christmas dinner different post-Brexit? No Brussels. Hello and welcome to the October quite conferency edition of Signal from the Medianet. I'm your host James Poulter and always, well, I say as always because they keep on bunking off, I've got the actual two real <laughs> uh, co-presenters <laughs> back in the studio. The original cast, the genuine lineup, Ooh. the one that you've all been waiting for. But it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's Ruth. Hi. Hi. <laughs> and on, on the left, but actually kind of opposite me is Sam. Hello. Hello. Nice to have you both back. Nice to be back. Nice to be back. I feel like a little comfy armchair here because we're kind of all back in the same place at one Except time. Except really it's just a squeaky desk chair. Yeah, please ignore squeaks. Um, Ruth can't sit still. So anyone that's met her knows that. Um, and therefore you'll hear a squeaky chair. We are back. It's October. It is uh, autumnal feeling. The the year is hardly winding down though. If anything, it feels like it's winding up. And particularly in our world as we head towards uh, just towards the end of this week. If you're listening to this before October 19th, then you are hearing this in our pre-conference mode anything might have happened after that point but we are in uh, anticipation of the church and media conference from medianet coming up on thursday october the 19th so if you're hearing this before that there's still time to go get your tickets and we hope to see you there and we are very excited about it so more to come about that coming up in the show we've got lots to talk about today but not a lot of time to do it in so we're going over to talk about the news in just a couple of seconds a couple of big stories that's been hitting the headlines we have our feature interview with both uh, amazing comedian journalist uh host of all sorts of things paul carenza who's also comparing the church and media conference uh, this week and we've got some recommendations for you as well so all of that to get through uh, in coming up in the show but first of all we're going to go straight to the news ruth you've got something for us what have you been reading what's excited you so this article was in the guardian but i've seen it in a bunch of different things in a bunch of different guises but it's about how young people are turning their backs on social media which if anyone has a young person it's actually quite hard to has a young believe person. well no yeah fair point <laughs> knows <laughs> <Owns> one, one. <laughs> yeah knows a young person like all the young people i know just constantly have their heads stuck in their phones so it feels like weird statistics um but this guardian article is saying that 63 percent of school-age young people um said that they wouldn't care if social media had had never been invented interesting which is quite a surprising statistic do we believe them well i'm beginning to because we're hearing a lot about this kind of um in the world that i work in day to day and also just kind of this social media space that we all kind of spend a lot of time living in is that you hear a lot about this kind of like return to i'm not bothered about it i'm not on facebook or whatever but um you say school age 
young people right because this young people bracket i think is kind of one that we often wrestle with gets banded around yeah like naught to 25 is yeah. kind of or or 30 of yeah. you know, kind of yeah. still feel young which i'll just hang on to for another <laughs> little while um yeah it kind of feels like but it's specifically talking about yeah the school specifically age school age and i think one of the things that's really interesting is that 71 percent of the um young people surveyed have said that they've temporarily taken a digital detox and actually that's something that we talk about quite a lot in our magazine um sort of taking because we're a Christian magazine, like taking a Sabbath break from digital yep. media. Obviously, these guys weren't Christian. So it'd just be interesting to see why they're doing it. There's also quite a lot of statistics about being bullied online and, you know, being scared of what's happening online and things like that. So I wonder if that plays into it. But it's just it's quite interesting. I wonder if we're sort of almost doing a bit of an about turn where actually being on social media is is now not cool and therefore kind of being off is cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm to be honest I'm getting a little bit wary about any of these kind of surveys that only look at one generation as mm. well because I feel like I know plenty of people that are addicted to their phones like mum and dad and you're listening apologies for this story but we were at dinner at, you know, at the weekend and both of my parents pulled out their <laughs> smartphones at some point or other during the course of lunch you know whereas I didn't and then I've got other people you know where, where I've got kind of kids who are constantly addicted to their smartphones we all have that story of going into you know, kind of you know pick any chain restaurant and see people sat yeah. around you know, doing nothing but looking at their phones so I'm not sure how much of it is is like this generation's addicted and this one isn't but well, it's the, just we all are i think the interesting <laughs> thing is as well um we're seeing lots of statistics falling for addiction to alcohol and drugs and cigarettes for young people which people are hailing as a great thing which obviously is a great thing Hurrah. however the um the statistics for children being addicted to their phones is going up and actually simon sinek the mm. i mean what do we call him like a social commentator Let's go with that. Let's go with that. Yeah. He talks about the fact that it's become the new kind of serotonin hit. So, mm. you know, when you're waiting for a text message or something on social media, actually that gives you the hit that sex, drugs and rock and roll used to give you. And so, you know, they're effectively just replacing one addiction for another. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why these statistics are really interesting because if people don't want to live with their phones and, there's, and they're, there's less alcohol, drugs, all of that, then, you know, as a whole, maybe that's a great thing. Absolutely. If it's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm I'm one of those people who am trying to institute a bit more of a time where I just switch off completely. So most Sundays, I'm trying not to look at any social media whatsoever. I just got back from a week on holiday where we switched our phones off completely for the whole week. And, you know, I, I know the counterpoint to that is, well, hang on, these things are going to take over our lives. They're going to be embedded in us. You're not going to, be able to switch off from these in, in 10 or 20 years. So why not learn how to manage your use now mm. rather than just going complete cold turkey on it? But I think going cold turkey once a week or once a year where you switch off for a year can be really helpful. It helps put things into perspective for me because I realised that actually, yes, you guys are all tweeting about what's Theresa May, Theresa May said at her conference speech, but I was lying on a beach and I didn't feel like I was missing out at all <laughs> on your various, you know. You're wrong, Sam, you're wrong. I, I didn't miss out on your really clever jokes against Theresa May or all of your really pithy thoughts on what a terrible prime minister she is. I just didn't care. And actually, mm. you realise there's more to life than the political commentary. There's more to life than just the constant feeds going on and on. So I'm an, I'm an advocate for switching off. Sam, who's the guy who's written that book called Digital Detox? Mark Ellis. Mark and he's Ellis. also written a, uh, a great article for us at Premier Christianity you're welcome. Magazine as well. Yeah, <laughs> nice plug. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, show is not endorsed by Christianity Magazine or any of its affiliates, but we do have these guys and we love them for <laughs> it. It is, so an, it is an interesting article, though. <laughs> Thank you, Ruth. I agree. <clears throat> it's a very interesting article. Uh, I think that it's an interesting kind of whole area, right? Because we this is not only, you know, there's a counterbalance to it. One mm. is like, 
great people are becoming slightly less addicted they're spending less time on them that might be a good thing but it also poses a massive challenge as most of our businesses right now are pivoting towards strategies where they're entirely dependent upon advertising revenue and time spent and you know average monthly users and daily active users these are all the metrics that most you know kind of modern quote-unquote technology although i think that name is a bad moniker for them most just call them businesses now Mm. rely upon right if you're digitally kind of trading or if you're in you know kind of the world that you guys work in day-to-day of journalism and content you need eyeballs you need people looking at stuff in order to be able to justify the work and and justify the jobs that ultimately produce that work so yeah we are both i think heralding this kind of stuff but there's also a big implication of what that might mean you know we're actually now generating a new generation where actually they're not going to be as addictive they're not going to spend as much time that could be a ticking time bomb for a lot of these digital businesses five ten years down the road if people are actually you know very actively against spending more and more time in these things i also think as well the day Danger of um, just focusing on the dangerous elements of being addicted and all of that is that you lose all the positive things about social media, like community and things like that. So I was interviewing um, Catherine Welby uh, Roberts recently, and she was saying that when she was pregnant, she's obviously got quite severe depression and she goes through bouts of it. And when she was pregnant, she had severe depression, but also she was really tired. Like, mm. and and for her, like her online community was an absolute godsend and a lifeline. And similarly, we were chatting to some young people who um, were involved in gaming, and they were talking. So they were just in their room playing with their mates. I don't even know how to say this, like through consoles. Is that a thing? Wow. I'm so down with the kids. Wow. I hate Over the internet. <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> she works for Youth Work. <laughs> just, just putting that out there, people, that's, that's I, youth and no, children's I'm, work. I, I will tell everyone, I really don't like computer games, but I've got an article about it in my magazine. But anyway, these kids were playing and they wow, were talking both about... both of you, the magazine bombs have already dropped <laughs> no, and we're but, only 10 But they were talking about the fact that they, um, they were playing with their friends, but... And so their parents were like, what? I didn't know your friends were coming over. And what they meant was we're playing with our friends. And for us, it's exactly the same as if they're in the room. Exactly. Um, and so you, I think if you wipe out all of digital media and social media and all of that, then actually you're getting rid of that really social part of it, which is really good for our young people. Fence to those parents, but I wonder where they've been. Because the whole idea of playing a computer game with someone over the internet, I mean, that's been around since I was a kids like... no but this is the thing they don't think about it as oh i'm playing with my friends online they think about like young people today think about it as if they're in the room it's just like it's a different dynamic yeah, yeah exactly. they're all looking at one screen somewhere yeah it just doesn't matter that their person's not next to them but obviously that has big implications for you know kind of like cognitive development you know ability to yeah. read facial cues ability to kind of actually like hold a conversation hold attention all those kind of things so lots lots to be kind of considered if mm. this is actually being ripped out uh well much like the two back teeth that i had ripped out last monday oh. if you're ripping out your social media kind of um addiction one way or another we'd love to hear your thoughts and strategies for how you're going to deal with that send us uh, your comments on hashtag signal and send them to at the media net on twitter so uh sam your story for the month this is a, a rather glamorous one shall we say oh that's a terrible pun i mean it follows on <laughs> it follows on really nicely from ruth's story about the 63 percent of young people who apparently don't care too much about social media because there's a big media organization condé nast of course one of the largest uh, magazine houses in the um in the country in the world arguably um they have decided to stop 
publishing the British Glamour magazine every month and instead to make it just twice a year in print. They're going to go online first, digital first. Um, And so this stands in contrast to Ruth's story because I thought, according to Ruth's story, young people are no longer interested in social media. Glamour have taken the opposite view and they're saying, actually, that's where all of our audience are. Young women, they're online, they want blogs, they want content on the mobile phones, they don't care so much about print. And so they've taken, I think, what is clearly a business decision here and said, look, is the print magazine making enough money? No, it's not. Let's go digital instead. But this is huge for the magazine industry. This is, Mm. you know, absolutely massive magazine almost entirely dropping its print output and it doesn't bode well for the rest of us but obviously this is yeah i think we often get these two things conflated together right so there's social media quote unquote which captures so many things like it it really does encompass everything from you know what kids might call snapchat like a one end where they're literally just talking to one another and not consuming any media in it at all but obviously there are big publishers like glamour like many condé nast publications actually in there in the discover feed and at the other end you've got the media industry which is socialized and Mm. and they're kind of two opposite ends of the spectrum so i wonder if there's something that we're actually we don't mind having more time being spent you know consuming news and things like that online but we also don't want to be addicted to the social part of it where we're actually talking to one another the whole time and there's got to be some kind of balance in the middle but you're right this has like a big implication for print publications as well you know if you're going to again go down that thing of wanting to go online quit all of the things that you've got arranged to be able to publish multiple big print publications every year you rip all that infrastructure out and then five years from now finds you might have to put some of it back yeah. that could be a pretty mm. costly thing to have to deal yes. with yes and in the meantime joe elvin who was of course the editor of, of glamour just about a week after this was announced she then said that she's actually stepping back and she's been praised for you know launching this magazine that defined uh, an age and generation of young women apparently glamour sold more copies in its sector than any other in europe um you know it quickly became a kind of uh, model that, that worked and that's now apparently fading out i mean i'm not i'm not that negative about print i think well clearly in the case of glamour it's not working for them but i don't think print magazines are dying a death on the contrary i actually think the more niche you are mm. the better so glamour arguably is still quite wide even though it's a women's magazine it's doing lots of different things isn't it? it's doing health it's doing i mean i'm, I'm talking as if i read it every sure. month i don't but it's doing a, a <laughs> sure broad range of stuff Sam. from fashion to everything else um and i think with the, with the online move they're going to become more niche and i think just focus on fashion and i think that'll work i think people are looking for niche publications it's been said many times before that really since the recession hit if you're going to spend four or five quid on a magazine you want to be interested in everything in it mm. and so therefore if you're a really niche publication it can actually be easier to find an audience yeah. because people are less likely to buy <coughs> something for five quid uh, and just flick through if it's too broad arguably if they're going more niche why don't they just stick with a print publication i would love it if they did but it's clearly not gonna i mean they're saying this is a sort of classic innovative move uh, from our company we're trying something new and different and isn't this bold and i have to be cynical and say no i think what's happened here is you're losing money and so you're doing what a lot of people in the future i think will be forced to do we're, we've already seen the death of national newspapers and now we're seeing the death of some national magazines as well i think the interesting thing they obviously think they're going to get more hardcore readers i suppose but i think probably what they're going to lose is those people people i guess probably like me that maybe would buy one at an airport or would like read it in the hairdresser or something like that that would buy it on a kind of you know casual basis i think yeah they'll probably retain their hardcore readership but i think they probably will leave lose some of the people on the peripherals although i suppose those people might buy the two issues a year are they going to be like big bumper 
exceptional issues do we'll you think? have to wait and see i would have thought so yeah i think they're talking about having a sort of collectible issue of the magazine and yeah. so that would suggest to me something quite bookish if you like 25 pounds big. per issue yeah maybe <laughs> and it's the thing that you see you know, these kind of like big lifestyle publications like kinfolk and monocle and mm. things like that have actually survived a lot of the digital kind of movement by making it a weightier thing as a statement piece and a collectible item you know like i can ha- hold my hand up i've got you know kind of two years worth of monocle magazines stacked up on my shelf and i'm pretty much digital on everything so mm. you know that's just one of those things where it has a kind of like a quality to it that you want to hang on to whether or not glamour can help that translate into fashion which obviously we know moves all the time and also kind of celebrity and gossip and things like that and actually bring that up to a level where it's a a product that you actually want to hang on to for any length of time that's that i think is the kind of biggest challenge that they might face so we've definitely got to kind of see where that one goes okay so news thank you very much we're gonna run through this episode because we've got so much to cover coming up we will be talking with paul carenza who is the host of the church and media conference this thursday the 19th of october if you haven't got your tickets go and get them you can still get them from the medianet.org or over on eventbrite we hope to see you there thank you so much if you've already bought your tickets to come and see us on thursday sam ruth and myself will be there in all of our regalia and splendor uh, for the um, annual church and media conference it's something that we've been doing for a long time here at the medianet and we are such big fans of it because it just brings together so many awesome people and I'm really excited we've got Paul as I mentioned uh, Paul Carenza who is comedian and writer coming up uh, just after this to talk to us a little bit about kind of his life and what he's excited about the conference but we're all going to be there and we're excited to be there so um, let's kind of hear from what's going going on Sam what are you uh, excited to, to see well, this well, year? Well first of all I'm going to change my dress code because you just said I'm going to be there with all my regalia and splendour so I'm going to have to uh, seriously buck up my ideas when it comes to what I wear um, You can only wear gold. Yeah yeah, that sounds scepter. like it. Just need to brush that off a little bit. <laughs> I'm really excited about the conference. It's been a couple of years, and um, looking at the schedule I've got in front of me, my colleague Justin is doing a panel on when is censorship justified. A really interesting question for those of us who work in the media. And you know, there's some big names as well. I noticed that you've got writers from the Atlantic there. We've got uh, um, as well Giles Fraser, will be very well known for his column, of course, in the Guardian. So a really great mixture of people, and it's great just for I hate to use the word networking, but just for just for meeting other people who work in the media, other Christians in the media there isn't an, another event like it and so I'm really excited to be there absolutely and you mentioned the networking I think that's the one thing we would say is that you know, if you're coming on Thursday or if you aren't able to get there you know, follow along what everyone is saying because if you're using uh, the hashtag for the event is uh, CMN17 uh, so you can follow that's Church and Media Network um, 17 you can follow the conference and I think the networking is going to be a great opportunity I certainly know that we. I think Sam this is probably where one of the places where we first that's met that's very actually, true actually yeah. um, you know, a couple of years ago uh, and Ruth and I as well met in yeah, you know, probably. Many, one of these events uh, back in the day so yeah you can come and meet great people just like Sam and Ruth and have relationships and friendships that will last throughout the years so um, definitely come along on on Thursday I think it's going to be great and uh, yeah particularly I think Giles is going to be an interesting uh, chat you know obviously Giles Fraser you know known for his um, you know kind of various comments and columns sometimes on the controversial end sometimes you know kind of challenging uh, a lot of stuff that he writes over on the Guardian Um, you know I think there could be a really interesting talk from him Uh, he is competing uh, for a time slot with yours truly but i won't kind of bring that up anymore <laughs> uh I, i'll just you guys make your decision it's fine you just it's gonna be really awkward isn't it on thursday it's gonna be really awkward it's cool um ruth what will you be attending on thursday i mean given that you've sort of pretty much said everything in the program i think i'm <coughs> sorry <laughs> i don't even have a cough and i've got a cough <coughs> you guys have made me ill uh, oh uh, sorry the uh, the letters on the premier gospel sign just behind you have begun to fall off the wall what? Yeah, no, that cough definitely did it. What? Where? I can't.
can't believe no one is getting my terrible Theresa May gag right now. That is awful. Okay. Oh, very good. I'm going to leave that in. (laughs) Right. Okay. Normal service resume. Uh, Ruth has managed to get her voice back and um, we will carry on. What are you looking forward to at the conference? I am looking forward to everything. I know that's a bit of a cop-out answer. No, but so... Ruth hasn't looked at the programme yet. She's now. I have. (laughs) Just now looked at it. Um, When I worked worked in secular media, one of the things I loved about the MediaNet conference was just meeting Christians that work in the media because I think... You know, it can feel very lonely, like you are the only Christian that's working in the media, that you're the only Christian that's ever had to deal with, you know, being asked to do that by your director or being asked to film that or being asked to write a thing about that or develop that idea. Um, So just to know that there are other Christians there, to see them all like in front of you um, and then the networking element of it and then all the different people, including obviously my mate Ruth Gledtill, who... uh... (laughs) Oh, this is my favourite story of all time. What happened the first time you met Ruth, Ruth? Um, so I've read, you know, she's she's a brilliant, uh, when she was working for the time, she was an absolutely amazing religious correspondent. And I read her stuff religiously, excuse the pun, um, because it was brilliant. And so when I was working in, so I was working at the BBC and then I was working in PR, doing sort of press and PR for a charity. And I went to see her um, kind of on behalf of the charity to talk about how we could pitch some ideas for her and how she could write about some of the stuff that we were doing. Um, and I turned up, I think it was the Reform Club on the Strand. And it's like... It's sort of not even that swanky, but it's a members only club and she'd invited me and you're not allowed to take a notebook in or like a phone or anything like that. And I've got a terrible memory. So I was already like quite nervous about the fact that I was going to have to remember everything that we talked about. I was like, why can't I just meet me in a coffee shop where I can actually write stuff down? (laughs) Anyway, so... I was already kind of a little bit nervous about that. I um I never dress smart. I mean I'm sat here in ripped jeans and um and Justin Bieber trainers. Um but <laughs> I so I I dressed really smart. I was wearing a shirt, I was wearing a jacket, I was wearing chinos and um, like high heels <laughs> high heel boots I got in there and the guy took one look at me the guy on the desk and he was like you're not allowed to wear jeans I'm like in what world are these jeans these are skinny chinos mate they might have been six quid from Primark Whoa. but they are skinny chinos Absolutely. anyway he was convinced they were jeans and I was not going to argue with him so I was just like okay what do you expect me to do because I'm meeting Ruth Gledhill in like 10 minutes I can't go and get something else anyway he's like I'll go into the back and see what we've got thinking you know maybe he'd have a spare like skirt or or like women's trousers or something anyway he returns with size 40 men's trousers <laughs> i'm like in what world do you think they're gonna fit me like i'm like five foot two size six there is literally not i mean this would fit my whole body in one leg anyway so i sort of kindly take the trousers from him thinking it's a good job I'm wearing a belt and ankle boots because it's, we're going to need some serious work here. So I nip into the loo, which I am allowed into the toilet, just to be clear. Je- the jeans don't, you know, deter me from there. I put these trousers on, put the belt on, tuck the ends of the trousers into my boots. And I genuinely look like a clown. They are so you're, absolutely you're at massive. at this point wearing kind of MC pants. Hammer style parachute yeah. pants. Yeah, but with like a tight shirt and a tight jacket. Okay. And, and little ankle Ruth's boots. Ruth's reaction was? Well, so I was then I was in two minds. I was like, do I go in and admit that I didn't know the dress code and so I'm wearing men's trousers? Or do I just work it? And she's like, oh, this girl's super fashionable. Who knew MC Hammer pants were back in style? (laughs) So I can't actually remember. I can't actually remember. I think I told her. I'm looking forward to asking Ruth that very question. (laughs) She'll never remember. Ruth, do you remember Ruth the clown? (laughs) Well, thank you to all of you in the audience uh, here today at the Church and Media Conference. If you're hearing this clip, it's something that I've had Paul just play out uh, nationally over the 
the radio broadcast system in the auditorium to all of you listening so um ruth if you're in the audience please just give us a wave at other ruth and thanks so much for for talking to us about that incredible experience good okay so lots to look forward to at the conference thank you for coming along if you are coming on thursday we uh, really look forward to seeing you and to find out a little bit of a taster of what it's going to be like uh, to get a kind of flavor for the person that is going to be leading you through it i have the great pleasure of introducing you to paul carenza paul is a amazing uh, writer journalist broadcaster comedian all manner of things freelance man of the world he has written for all sorts of programs including uh, for tim vine he's worked with miranda uh, and has also written for things like top gear for chris evans uh, for radio 2 as well and is a regular on pause for thought there as well so uh, coming up after the break we have got paul carenza who's hosting this year's church and media conference and he's going to be telling us a little bit about what life is like as a freelancer jobbing through all the different things that he does and his new book all about christmas coming up after this So my name is Paul Carenza, I am a comedian and writer, I suppose, uh, in all that connotes in all the different areas that those exist in, and I live in Guildford and the world is my office. The world is your office? I work like everywhere that. on the road, I don't work from home, so I work in uh, harvesters and um, beef eaters <laughs> on the road. Which is a step gears. up, I suppose, from the traditional kind of freelancey, uh, I live in a Starbucks kind of, with yeah. a cup of you know, you've gone for the freelance, you like a salad bar. I like, I like, exactly, yeah. I like a buffet, too, right, exactly. No, I do, I do a, the trouble is, I, I did that kind of trying to support the independent coffee shops, yeah. and then realised that you sort of get glared at by the person who owns it and pays the bills, but hurry up. So you do end up veering to Starbucks again, don't you? I've not heard many people say, you know, I really want free Wi-Fi, somewhere nice to sit and a ribbon chicken combo for a lunch Well, I time. know. It's nice though, isn't it? Simply chicken is alright and it's quite, it's not bad for you as well. You can have it every day. But, yeah. Okay, good. Well, when you're not dealing with kind mm. of heartburn induced from you know, copious amounts <laughs> yeah. of uh, ranch dressing oh, layered red on top sauce. of... Yeah, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Then um, then what is, what's your kind of week look like when you are a kind of... You know, you lead this kind of portfolio career lifestyle of a, mm. a freelance mixture of journalism, comedy, writing, projects all galore, radio, as you were yeah. doing, um, you just joined us from joining Chris Evans this morning talking about your new book on Radio 2. You know, that's a that's quite a mixture, seems quite glamorous. It's, <laughs> oh, in theory, you'd think, wouldn't you? You'd yeah. think. Uh, it's a real odd one, really, because I, so I, I'd normally do about three gigs a week, something like that, and normally one or two are in churches, for churches, and that's more supply and demand more than anything, that right. churches, there are only about three or four comedians doing those, um, <laughs> whereas, and, you know, so the, the phone rings more often. The comedy circuit, there are now more than ever, uh, about a thousand com- professional comedians working today in the country, but the circuit is, has shrunk, mm. so there aren't as many opportunities as there used to be. So a bit of comedy circuit, a bit of gigs for churchy things. Uh, writing normally a day or two a week for someone, whether it's for Miranda, I do some stuff with her, uh, for entertainment shows, for sitcoms, mostly sitcom, but lately a few more sort of um, entertainment shows, BBC Music Awards last year, the Buble show, um, you know, sprucing up people's scripts and things generally. And then often a day or two a week writing for my own pipe dream sitcom idea. You know, I probably spend a good half my writing time working for nothing. Uh, speculatively trying to get those things going. And have you always lived that kind of life? I mean, did you ever have what you might classify as a normal job? Or did you just fall into it? Yeah, I, I, I tempted for a bit, but I left drama school. Really, I was trying to act, realised I couldn't act. Um, <laughs> and that's when you discover stand-up comedy, because it turns out that you just be yourself, and that's all right, really. So, um, yeah, so I, I did that. And at the same time, I was writing, sending off jokes to radio shows, that sort of thing. 
And so along the way, you've obviously kind of tried various different things. And where would you say in all of that kind of portfolio of things that you do, you feel kind of most at home? On the stage, probably it sounds really cheesy, doesn't it? But I do find if I have a week or so without a gig, I go a little bit sweaty and sort of like, I need a gig. And my wife's at home going, you need to just stop telling jokes around the house, go and do a show, get out of here. Um, because I found I found years ago when I started doing Not Going Out, Lee Maxick, mm. I, I reined the gigs back a bit thinking, OK, well, I wanted to be a writer. I'm now a writer. I got into stand up to be a writer, really. But actually, you find that waiting six months for someone else to get a laugh on your behalf, it's very nice, but it's not as satisfying as doing doing a joke to an audience who laugh instantly even if you know you've got a TV show versus an audience of 50 people yeah. I take the audience of 50 people if they pay the same as the TV show I just do that but, <laughs> um, but you've got a, a bit of both and I like a mix I have a very short attention span so a perfect day for me involves about three different jobs okay and so you don't find yourself you know kind of over the salad bar in the harvester telling jokes to kind of the waitresses I try not to okay. in fact most of I, I try and I, on the road and out and about I try and rein in all the, any sort of you know, to the point that you get to the to the gig, and you're from, you know, there's a comedy circuit gig, there's a bouncer at the door, and I say, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a comedian, and they always go, you don't look like a comedian, <laughs> don't look very funny, you know, okay, well, you know, okay, well, let's, let's see in half an hour, shall we, on stage, but, and often they're right, and then you walk out going, yeah, thanks mate, yeah, cheers for that, um, yeah. so, so you, yeah. You love to have an audience. It's nice to have an audience, um, but, but again, if I were just doing the gigs, I'd be on the road all the time. Uh, I quite like the fact that I could just do two or three gigs a week because the writing then does the other things. And really, the the, the aim is in the future because I'm getting older and tireder to not be driving to Hull and back, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you know, for for whatever. But actually, to get some ideas going on, the t- you know, I'd love to get a sitcom going yeah. of my own rather than writing for other people. So we're plugging away. And obviously, doing a lot of things in and around the church. I always wonder with people who've kind of fallen into the the, the kind of preaching circuit and things like that, whether or not they were all aspiring comedians and just couldn't make it at that. Totally. And they thought the next thing I'll do is become a vicar. I mean, is, yeah. <laughs> have you trod that line yourself? Well, no, I, I know I do know a few sort of Christian speakers who do those things. Who who when we we catch up at festivals or whatever, and you you can tell they then go, oh yeah, I've got a few little. Are you doing that bit that you do? Because I might do that bit in my funny bit that I do on that bit, even though you're thinking, well, you're preaching on you. I'm just I'm just doing some jokes here, yeah. But they they were, and then certainly I think that you know preacher comedian teacher really as well school teacher they're all in that same zone mm. of trying to get a point across using a bit of humour sometimes trying to keep the attention yeah uh, hoping people leave a bit changed and transformed and it's it's all part of that and there's no one comedian describes it the fact that if you are as a comedian you're the one person in a room full of strangers really that you're facing the other way and then you've just got to prove for yourself that that's that should be the case and I think the same is true of a minister or a teacher really as well it's quite a thing and one of those slightly more um, let's kind of call it churchy gigs that mm. you've come back to time and again for quite a while now is Pause for Thought on Radio 2 and yeah. done various of those types of bits that mm. uh, you know, we were talking before uh, the, the show about you know, this idea of like the, is there some secret members club of all the, <laughs> yeah. the Pause for Thought and Thought for the Day members yeah. and you know the odd celebrity that kind of gets themselves in to do songs of praise Yeah, is there, is there some secret yeah. club that you guys are all hanging I'd out I'd like in? to think so I mean, there was the, we had the Pause for Thought Christmas party uh, two years ago. We not had one last year. We should have worked on that. Um, maybe it's changed festivals. Maybe it's you know we've we've done Christmas. We've done the Christian mm. festival. Okay. Maybe we need the Hanukkah party. I don't know. But yeah. uh, but that it's it's and it was lovely. Just the refreshments table alone. Obviously, you know you've got kosher one end, halal the yeah. other, and everything in the middle. But they're a lovely bunch of people, and mm. we've met a few times at different um, awards dues and events, whatever it might be, um, or just on on Facebook and things like that. And there, from all the different backgrounds, it's it's we're all trying to do a simple. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The thing and just trying to, uh, obviously that that's, you know, dare I say it, slightly shrinking area of religion in media. Um, although that said, the Saturday breakfast show, which is sort of a newish thing with mm. Dermot O'Leary, has got a pause for thoughts slot. There used to be five pause for thoughts on radio two a week on the breakfast shows, and, and now there are six. So yeah. that is one little tiny growth area to cling on to. Interesting, isn't it? Because there, there has been a, this expansion, also, you know, people like Kate Botley and others doing mm. kind of these new shows on Sundays yep. as well, and kind of expanding, you know, particularly on radio two, interestingly, of all the places mm. where these things are kind of coming in more. When, when you're around kind of broadcasting house and, you know, kind of these different places, you know, do you get sense that there is more of an openness than there ever was to kind of the things of faith or um, I suppose because of the, we've talked on the show before about things like the popularity of mindfulness and all these kind mm. of spiritual practices mm. and actually a return to some of those disciplines where do you, do you see that coming through in the people you're interacting with are they warmer to you than they were before well the, the, I found the Radio 2 lot have been fantastic the, mm. the production team are great and they, uh, they, they you also know when it's a nice one you've written and they, they go oh that worked well this week and then when it's not you can sort of you obviously you get nothing you think oh, must try harder next time <laughs> um, but, and, and Chris is very receptive to it as well he is I think he likes wisdom and he, you know, he likes his little sound bites and tidbits and mm. like, oh, that's a good way of living. I like that. I like that way of looking at the world. And, you know, whether that then goes further into spirituality and religion, I don't know. But it's, I think there is certainly that openness and receptiveness to, to that, you know, side of things. In terms of then how that has a knock-on effect into world like comedy production and things like that, I'm, I think it's maybe a lot trickier. Mm. I've certainly found when I've pitched any idea that even touches on anything vaguely religious, and I thought, I know a bit about this, it'd be quite nice to get, mm. you know, I'm not necessarily in the 12 Disciples sitcom, but, um, <laughs> but something, you know, I know we've had Dibley and Rev and things like that, but there is often uh, a reticence and people either thinking, I think they either think I'm gonna be preachy um, mm. rather than the comedy side, yeah. which is not my intention, or there's that attitude of, oh, we'll get letters and I think, well, is that a bad thing necessarily if yeah. you sort of um, actually get a few people to engage and listen and respond in, in their way? So there's a, a certainly a reluctance, I think, to engage on the, the sort of uh, that side of things. Along the way, have you had moments where you know, people know that you are, you know, you do these kind of church things or you've got the comedy? You know, can you think of a time where there was someone that you kind of was suddenly said, they said, come on then, 
have a go, try and try and convert me, or try and kind of give me a, kind of a little sermon or something like that. You do once or twice a couple of comedians, I think, particularly because I spent a good five ten years on the circuit when I was a Christian, but I wasn't, you know, not that I was hiding it under my lamp under a bushel, so to speak, <laughs> but it just never really came up, and it yeah. did come up fair enough, but I didn't mention it on stage only really because I didn't have anything funny to say about it, really. Um, whereas actually, you know, in the same way that you'd be self-deprecating, so I talk about being Cornish in a critical, negative way, or <laughs> Ginger being a critical, negative way, but I did want to go on stage and go, oh, I'm a Christian and here's loads of things, I'm going to have a go at it now. Right. So I couldn't quite find the way to talk about it in that sense. But then as soon as I started getting a few books out, and this, you know, the first one I did was so a comedian walks into a church, very much publicly going, I'm a comedian and I'm a Christian. Mm. Right, let's see how that works out. So suddenly these comedians I'd known for a decade, uh, some of them don't speak to me anymore, right. um, but one or two would share lifts to gigs, and one or two who, who aren't Christians necessarily, but would be saying, yeah, I grew up in church, and I did a theology degree, or I, I, I used to go along to sort of these uh, Pathfinder cipher camps and stuff, yeah. and then I sort of went away from it a bit. But we've had a lot of good open discussions mm. with a few people there. And then there are those who, who want more, want to slay religion, really, in a more yeah. brutal manner. So we've had a few discussions there as well. Interesting. Because yeah, I suppose, obviously, you do kind of roll in a certain group of people as well, and particularly in the comedy circuit, who are known also for being Christians. You, know, yeah. you mentioned Miranda as well, you know, kind of has done, you know, has been quite public about her faith in those situations, yeah. has appeared on, you know, kind of stage at things like the leadership conference that HTV put on and things mm. like that, and very openly talks about it. Yeah. And, you know, do you think that, that there are people like that that are going to pioneer the next wave of those kind of generations? Because they, they also come from a generation and a background and an area. Um, you know, do you see emerging comedians that are also professing a faith that you know, kind of perhaps are all helping that, that story in the future? Well, I think there are a few, certainly. Um, there aren't loads. Mm. I think uh, we, you know, we shouldn't get too carried away that this is a, a wave of, on the comedy circuit necessarily. Yeah. But there are certainly a handful of people who are, I think, public about it. And I gig recently with the Monks, the sketch group, who on stage at the secular pub gig are going, we are a sketch group and we're Christians. And there's that pause when the audience take it in and deal with it and they do a joke about it and move on. But they are being upfront and honest about it. Not in a way of going, in a church gig we'll do this and in a public gig we'll, we'll board it up a bit. Yeah. So fair play to them, absolutely. But there, I think there is certainly a, that, the, you know, the, there's the sort of the top end, your Miranda Hearts and um, people like that. There is often still a reluctance in terms of knowing quite how to talk about this mm. and um, you know there's a radio presenter I've worked with fairly recently I went in and he was very chatty and going Look, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic and I don't know how to talk about it in the media is there a, you know should I shouldn't I you know mm. my priest says I should I don't really know if I should or whatever and it is tricky to to know how to answer that really because they're doing their thing and you, you can't really just slot faith in quite so straightforwardly in, in terms mm. of a lot of the media um, but good luck to them you know they're all there doing their things in different ways and I personally find it's great working in the media just knowing when you know there's one other person there in the office or on the show uh, you know I've worked on a few sitcoms before whether another writer maybe James Carey or Paul mm. Powell Christians and not that we're there sort of have a little prayer group in the corner while we should be writing the script but it's it's once you know there are two people it's it's a, it's a line you know yeah. rather than just one dot or two dots and yeah. it's I think it's really helpful to uh, to work with those people in that mm. capacity um, well, yeah, well yeah. one of the things that we're doing obviously over the next couple of weeks you're coming to compare at the, the church media conference for mm-hmm. us and that's obviously a great opportunity to bring those kind of people together like what what kind of excites you about the idea of actually people in the media getting together and, and sharing you know that 
that community you know, does it actually cross mm-hmm. boundaries in that way can we you know, what's there to be had from okay we all do this vaguely similar thing coming mm-hmm. together like what value do you take from that oh, I think it's I think it's immensely valuable I, I went um, yeah I think you before last I couldn't make it last year but um, it was just great for one day just to see people coming together mm. who are you know who, who I think do feel like dots sometimes we do feel like we are isolated individual on our own because we are some people don't talk about it in their office it often even if you want to talk about it it just doesn't come up on a daily basis yeah. and the thing about Christians is what well, we don't you know some religions stand out and it's quite obvious you know you literally wear wear it uh, you know yeah. quite publicly Christians you often you mm. can't really tell um, so in the same way, we have a Christian comedy meetup once a year and go for a curry, and it's just nice to see them. Same thing at this at this conference. It's just nice to see people out there and go, oh, wow, this is quite exciting. You're right out there doing your thing. You might not bump into any of these people again for another year, but it's just really encouraging. And plus, then the sessions are almost a bonus then, I think, just to have that coming together of people and realising that, yeah, there, there are more out there doing this sort of stuff. You know? Absolutely. And what, what in particular are you excited about on, on the day of what's coming up? Are you, anything in particular that you are... Uh, keen to see yeah Cole Morton's got and Cole's great uh, as a journalist and uh, um, he's doing a session on how to deal with and deal out rejection which I I've had three things turned down this week so I'm sort of feeling the bruises of rejection um, and obviously rejection is something that as a comedian you must have to deal with from time to time with the odd heckle and things yeah. like that what's the worst heckle that you've ever oh, kind of put so up many, with so many so <laughs> many I couldn't even know where to begin it's um, the worst thing I find with a comedian is as, as a as a comedian aren't the heckles as such it's the worst thing's being ignored. Oh, crikey. I've yeah. done those gigs where this wave of chat suddenly comes through mm. and you just realise that, oh, they're, they're not even engaging. You know, yeah. if they're heckling, they're listening for yeah. a brief moment. True. Uh, so I can deal with the heckle. Um, but, um, you know, Theresa May, I don't know if she can, but it's... Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh, less so about that, the better. Less so about it, we want from that. Um, that was topical at the time of recording, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it will it be will, topical I'm, at the time of publishing. She'll, she'll, be, she'll be heckled again, I'm sure, in the meantime. But um, but yeah, so I think reject it does feel very personal, and particularly you put your life and soul into these projects. Mm. And I, what I always try and do with the stuff I'm working on is I, I, I write it, I send it, send off my pitch or proposal, whatever, for this great new sitcom. I get all excited about it, and I very quickly try and forget about it and move on to something else. Yeah. So that when that gets turned down <laughs> or whatever, I've moved on. I got fine. I've moved on to this new thing. And and also there's a session on this isn't what I thought I'd be doing, and I certainly think that is the case with me. I never, you know, none of us. I think often end up in the exact place that we planned, um, especially in this business. So mm. all that stuff, I think, would be very useful. What What did you think that you might have been doing? So you look back to the kind of the post grad kind of person that you were, and then cast forward. Did you imagine being, you know, on the stage at Jungle's doing something, or was it, you know, is this completely out of the blue? Of what well, happened? I, I think at any one moment, if you'd asked me, I would have thought a different thing. You know, so mm. I did a theology degree for three years. I then did a year at drama school. So at various times there, I was thinking of being an RE teacher or an actor or ne- never a vicar. I never quite planned for that route okay. yet, but we'll find out. Um, but then as a writer, I suppose, I always then thought, okay, sitcoms, that is my thing. I'm going to be a sitcom writer. I'm going to get this off. And it's trickier than ever nowadays, unless you are a big name who's written your own sitcom. Mm. The, the, you know, the, the writer-performer thing has suddenly taken off massively. So I know like E4 at the minute, you can't even get a meeting with them unless you are a writer-performer who has yeah. won Edinburgh Comedy Awards. Or a YouTuber. <laughs> or a YouTuber, exactly. It's that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. So in the old days, you know, you go, oh, I've got a sitcom set in a bank. Brilliant. When do you want to start? You know. <laughs> and nowadays, it's not as simple as that, you know. No. So in that sense, you do have to diversify, um, which is why. But I enjoy doing the books and the radio and the TV and writing for other people, writing a bit for myself. I'm finding it's quite... 
important for me almost every year to go right this year I'm going to spend it you know a big chunk of time doing lots of pitches for other people but then the next year go right I've done that yeah. while they're bubbling away this year I'm going to film some stuff myself and go right this is about me making some stuff put it on YouTube whatever the year after that something different but you know having that change otherwise you can get so disillusioned mm. with thinking I'm just sending pitch after pitch off and nothing's happening um and then, of course, you know you, you get asked to write for other people when you're there thinking, well, but they, can you look at my idea rather than this other <laughs> stuff? So it is tricky. Yeah. Um, but I think then you do have to go, right, for this little season, we are going to uh, make our own things, you know, make mm. podcasts, make uh, YouTube films, whatever it might be, yeah. and and just, just twist it a little, make the industry sort of uh, work mm. for you a bit, I think, as well. Awesome. One th- last thing I suppose I want to ask you and about... Um, the kind of life of writing for other people, which I find is, uh, you know, lots of, um, lots of people in, who listen, you know, are, are journalists and they're coming mm. from backgrounds where really they're not the name um, doing things. They're writing something, uh, you know, either under a you know, byline for somebody else or mm. they're ghostwriting for people perhaps or, yeah. or they're just writing a, you know, kind of a news item that, you know, kind of is gone the next day and no one's mm. really paying attention. How do you kind of handle the balance between, you know, kind of, ego and wanting to kind of be on stage mm-hmm. and wanting to be seen with the struggle of like actually a lot of the time you're writing stuff that other people are going to yeah. be the one that's being no, you know you mentioned Miranda and Lee Mack and people mm-hmm. like that you know you've written for these these kind of names that people know how do you how do you handle that badly uh, <laughs> it's the only simple answer I can Fair give enough. you uh, I think it's very I, th- I personally find it quite tricky partly I think because if, if I'd just been doing the writing stuff all along for other people, not a problem. Mm. Um, I had a meeting, uh, I met for a, cup, met for a cup of tea with a Christian writer um, a couple of years ago now. And he said, oh, you're a writer and you're a Christian. Oh, let's meet up for a coffee, you know, and he writes books and things. And we got chatting and he said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I write for, you know, a bit of this sitcom here and an article there and a bit of this and a bit of that, a bit of gagging up of these people things. And he said, uh, oh, you're a hack. So, oh, that feels harsh and brutal. And I suppose, well, yeah, I, I write to order for money. So, oh, yeah, I suppose I am. But, um, and you suddenly think, am I selling out? All this sort of stuff. But then you realise that, no, that's just where I am in the industry. And it's what I do. And I enjoy it. And that's great. Mm. Whereas he writes the pipe dream novel. And yeah. he's got his big stuff. And that's what he does. Um, but, you know, the industry isn't as straightforward as all that. And actually, there is a great deal of value to be had, I think, by doing what you, uh, you know, whether it's writing for other people whether it's writing for an existing format and a show, um, and going and just rolling with it and seeing mm. what happens. You know, I did Top Gear last year only because Chris, I knew him through the Portsmouth Thought, and he said, well, come and do this. And of course, we went in with the best intentions. And yeah, uh, sure. I would say to people, you know, if you didn't see Top Gear last year, it went really well. <laughs> and, uh, and if you did see it, then you know otherwise. But what was interesting about that, I found, was one of the directors of the pieces, the guy who does the really visual, exciting stuff, yeah. is a Christian as well. Right. And he'd just done that whole um, the cenotaph incident filming around London, and it hadn't obviously the papers had taken it a little bit um, crazily. And uh, so I was there in the office with him, and I showed him big open plan office. I showed him there's a Guardian article headline said God hates Top Gear, and it listed all of the things that had gone wrong for us, often out of our control. You know, airlines going bust and all this sort of crazy thing, and shoots being delayed. So what do you think about this then, knowing he's a Christian? And he said, uh, he said, no, I don't agree. And he starts shouting in the office, going, no, God doesn't hate Top Gear. God loves Top Gear because God is using Top Gear to show me humility and I know nothing whatsoever about what I'm doing and all this sort of stuff. So, um, again, just knowing that there's another guy in the office like that is, was just a line, you know, and that was really helpful. Well, so let's turn to also another reason why you're here as well this week, which is to talk a little bit about the, the new book. Yeah, that's something that you're not doing with behind somebody else. It's very much you and yeah. front and centre 
into the book um, you're doing a launch uh, next week from the time that we're recording it'll be last week the time you hear this um, of Hark the Biography of Christmas mm. by Paul Carenza forwarded by Chris Evans but yes yeah and um, again it's that thing of that season actually it is seasonal I hadn't realised that but that season thing of of going right this year I'm going to write a thing for mm. me uh, and it's a book and it might not sell many copies yeah. who knows let's give it a pop and then next year go, right, I've done that for a bit. Let's move on and try something writing for other people, pitching some ideas, whatever it might be. So, yeah, I, I sort of about a year ago thought, year and a half ago, always been interested in Christmas. I thought, mm. let's just do a little bit of digging here, see mm. some of the stories behind it. And that whole battle between church and the secular world at large, who owns Christmas and that sort of stuff. What's your, what's your favourite thing that you learned about Christmas and doing the book? Oh, man. So, I mean, there's so many, so many little nuggets I found. Because I think a lot of people expect this to be a joke book or something, you know, because right. it's got a wacky front and all that, and with the background and that, I, that I've got, and a quote from Brown the Heart in the front, they think, oh, it's a joke book. And right. then you open it and go, oh, this is quite a dense history of Christmas right. with some light stuff in there as well. But as I was digging, I would find, I mean, you know, my favourite little tiny thing probably is that King Herod had a wife called Doris. <laughs> and I think that's, that makes him seem a whole lot of a different person. You know, that's never mentioned in the nativity stories. He had about nine wives. Only one was called Doris. Another was called Cleopatra, which is a bit nicer. But um, yeah, but loads. And then you just, it's the way you start digging and find like, um, like the first ever Captain Hook in Peter Pan was Daphne du Maurier's dad. And he was so scary, kids fainted and they walked out terrified. And, um, but the best ones for me, I think, are the ones where you can unpick the story behind it. Mm. And like Dickens... Uh, as a, a Christmas Carol was launched in a very mild Christmas, about twelve degrees or something. Right. But as a kid, his first eight Christmases were all white Christmases, and so for him, a proper Christmas is a snowy Christmas. You know, yeah. that's why he then wrote about it. And ever since then, it's not really been as cold and wet and no. dark as it was for him. But because he no. wrote about it, we think of Christmas should be a white Christmas. Absolutely, you know? and Paddy Power have been making the money out of it. Every exactly, too right. <laughs> but it's it's all down to him just being born at the end of that little uh, the, the little ice age they call it. You know, and um, but then realising that he was influenced by this guy, Washington Irving, the American writer who wrote Rip Van Winkle and Sleepy Hollow, who wrote about the cosy English Christmas and popularised Santa Claus, all these different things. And also I found interesting the fact that these are Christians. You know, Washington Irving was a, uh, worked in a church and Clement Clark Moore, who wrote to us the night before Christmas, was a Hebrew scholar who wrote about mm. Hebrew lexicography. And all these people, they're well-meaning Christians mm. who have been created this culture around Christmas that yeah. has sort of taken over and pushed out the nativity a little bit so um, they meant well they meant well excellent well the, when's the book come out when's it available uh, the book's out now apparently um, <laughs> uh, it's actually the first runs I think have been sold out so hopefully they're printing some more but if not you know I've yeah. got a photocopier uh, <laughs> well, I'm sure if you want a copy of it Hark the Biography of Christmas by Paul Corenzo go get it wherever good books are sold pop it in a stocking <laughs> filler this Christmas Miranda Hart actually says it is the perfect stocking filler on the front of the book so definitely a, a good accreditation there from, from her then but for now thanks Paul for joining thanks us. Jane And we're back. Thanks so much there to Paul Carenza. As I mentioned before, he'll be hosting the conference on Thursday. So if you are there, you'll be seeing him, hearing him and enjoying probably one or two of his good gags as well. And we'll also be hearing a bit more from him in the December episode of the show all about his book about Christmas. So come back for a festive bumper edition then. So over to recommendations for this month of October. Everything pumpkin spiced and autumn leaved. We have got lots going on and uh, some really nice things, I think, as you kind of think about the end of the year. Uh, or at least the end of the calendar year. It feels like we're just ramping up, really. Um, and a few recommendations. I'm going to start. 
because I just that I am the host of the show. I can do that. Um, so this is the so power. There. The power has gone to his head, ladies oh, and gentlemen. Definitely. The power of it all. It nearly took a whole year's worth of episodes, and it finally has. Um, so my recommendation this month is a new book that I'm reading. Um, I'm going to try and uh, not butcher this uh, bloke's name. His name is John Kostler. I think I'm saying Kostler right. Kostler, perhaps. Ooh, John Kostler. Spelt K-O-E-S-S. L-E-R, if you're looking up on Amazon or other good retailers are available for Christian publications. Um, and it's a book called The Radical Pursuit of Rest, Escaping the Productivity Trap, which I thought this was interesting just because it kind of goes against a lot of the kind of prevailing narrative that's kind of around in the world at the moment. Uh, a good friend of mine, um, and I'm sure many of you know his work, um, Gary Vaynerchuk, who's kind of one of these kind of gurus of kind of the hustle, the media, you know, kind of the drive. Um, I've had the, the chance to spend some time with Gary before, and he's a really interesting bloke, but one of the things that kind of i've seen happen in the past couple of months is his kind of you know go for it everyone can work you know 20 hour days and kind of live the full life thing has kind of pervaded quite a lot of kind Mm. of popular culture and i think this um this kind of challenge from john in this book um the radical pursuit of rest is a really nice counterbalance to that it's a christian book comes from a christian perspective but actually it really challenges both um things from the kind of church and the secular world at the same time with using a really good um biblical basis for it one of the things that he uses in the starting starting chapter actually of the book um which i i have I have read um, <laughs> um, all around this idea of kind of the, the church itself has become like a really um, busy place and that actually we often kind of get credited on our merits of how many you know, extracurricular activities can you get involved in whether you're serving in the nursery whether you're helping out during the week whether you're raking leaves for other people's gardens yeah all of these kind of things and um, as much as you know, he's writing this from a kind of west coast American perspective and obviously that can be very true of the American church I think it's prevailing all over the place over here as well and I just think yeah guys is this the type of thing that you feel that in your kind of day-to-day world you need more of are you feeling that kind of like the you're not successful if you watch youtube if you're not kind of working like 24 7 like is that does I, that sound feel I think r- real to you yeah i think we venerated busyness turned it into an idol haven't we i think that's one of the biggest idols in our society particularly when you're working in the media mm. because a lot of stuff is breaking news it's fast-paced stuff you've got to respond to stuff instantly particularly if you know if you're working on the social media for your organization your media outlet whatever that's got to be instantaneous you know if you miss a day's stuff then it's all old news and people can't respond and so yeah i think yeah. for sure the, the real challenge for me on this actually came through another author american author john mark comer who wrote a book called Garden City and he spoke about the importance of rest and he described his Sabbath and what was so remarkable about that book is he described his day of rest in such a way that I resonated with that and thought actually that sounds like a great day I would love to have a day of rest like that and he talked about how it was a family day how they ate whatever they wanted all the diets went out the window um, how they'd go for long walks in the country how they'd have a time of prayer together they'd obviously go to church and I, I just thought you know what this isn't someone saying you must keep the Sabbath don't you understand how important this commandment is this is someone demonstrating there is great life to be found in resting mm-hmm. and God gave us that commandment for our own good actually and so I think you know whether it be that book or the one I mentioned find a book that actually makes Sabbath or makes rest sound exciting and something you want to do because I think a lot of the time you know for myself again as a kind of media type where it's all go 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 I love the noise I love writing I love consuming media but it's important to find a place as well where you love rest Absolutely. you love switching off and finding those moments too and, and do you know what the thing that I found about this book which I, I really enjoy is that um, the title as I mentioned is The Radical pursuit of rest and it's you might assume i actually pre-assumed when i when i picked this up that it was going to be about um you know kind of like crazy ways to be restful <laughs> <laughs> you know like kind of like quit everything leave you 
you know, kind of go off walking in the wilderness, whatever it might be. But actually, what um, he's very kind of clear to point out in the opening of, of the book is that actually the pursuit of rest is a radical thing to do in today's culture. And I think ra- rather than kind of doing crazy things to be restful, um, a couple of months ago in the recommendations on the show, we talked about things like mindfulness apps and things like that to kind of build quality of rest and things like that back into your daily life. But actually, the pursuit of rest in itself is actually a radical thing. And I thought that that's just something that we could all do with. So thoroughly commend this book to you guys. Um, I'm sure that you're all, um, you know, kind of have felt that kind of burnout. And particularly at this time of the year, um, you know, we're kind of deep into the year by now. The, the you know, kind of Christmas and that kind of time of, of, you know, kind of letting the diet go is within touching distance. But we still have a, you know, a few months to go. Now's the time to be thinking about how you can be more restful. So that is my recommendation for this month. Ruth, what have you got for us? Uh, so I recently came back from resting in Sicily, where wow. I basically just like lay in the sunshine and ate a lot of food. But I did read three brilliant books. I'm not going to talk about all of them, but just so people know, because they're all really good. I'm just going to mention them and then I'll talk about one. Um, Ravi Zacharias is from East to West. So he's obviously an apologist, super intelligent guy. But this is his autobiography where he tried to commit suicide and kind of his story of how he, how he met God in that, which is fascinating. And then the other one's Nabil Qureshi's Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Nabil sadly died a couple of weeks ago um which meant that i was just weeping the whole way through reading the book while on the plane which was not at all embarrassing um but incredible book again super intelligent guy but tells it through his life story so just a fascinating read and then the last one which i will talk about is dirty glory by pete Gregg, and that's obviously not super super new but it's quite new um really good just fascinating stories about kind of how prayer has changed stuff all over the world but also really honest kind of heartbreaking stories where prayer hasn't happened and um just a really good mixture i just love his style he's so honest and down to earth and really kind of you know one of those real heroes of the faith but in such a down to earth way so to be clear when you were being restful you powered through three books in how many days i love reading though that's that's uh, this is the interesting thing about rest though actually like for me i'm a raging extrovert so (laughs) (laughs) which never comes across for those of you listening so shy um for me finding rest actually is quite often in like hundreds of people where i'm just chatting constantly that that for me is a really restful place when i'm sat by myself i just don't really know what to do myself <laughs> I, when i was on holiday for a week i got through six books all oh, right and i found that incredible no but i found that incredibly restful i was trying to back up your point by a bear <laughs> down the highway i was trying to back, i wasn't trying to back, so trying to back up your point ruth actually i had a very restful week and i read six but you know you take yeah. your time yeah. and you anyway sorry. absolutely consuming <laughs> books can be a restful thing that's cool and yeah pete greg's book day glory actually a really great time and yeah kind of like you say his story and the kind of the pursuit of the 24 7 prayer movement i think is certainly something that is all a lot more restful than uh, we've all been feeling this past couple of weeks so good stuff thank yeah. you very much for that and sam i throw it to you for the final recommendation of this october bumper conference fest show go wow well as you can maybe hear i'm not feeling my best and the great news of course this is a podcast you're not going to be infected by my uh, man flu these two in the studio may well be that's a different story Ew. but by thursday by the conference i will be feeling at my best and i'll be feeling absolutely fine but in the meantime and i haven't been feeling too good i've been catching up on w1 Oh, if so you good. haven't heard of it, this is a comedy about the inner workings of the BBC. Absolutely. And it is hilarious. Totally. 
Um, and if anyone has any recommendations of how I can watch the first series, I'd love to hear from you. It's called the internet, Ruth. You should try <laughs> no, it. No, but where? I've been looking. BBC iPlayer. No, no um, that's got this three. Is the, this is the second season. Um, and what's so brilliant about W1A is normally with a comedy show, any kind of drama, there's some kind of storyline, obviously. Yes. W1A manages to get away with almost having no story to it whatsoever <laughs> because all they're doing is sitting around in meetings discussing what they think they should do and how they can... There's like, there's like a director of better... Um, and there's there's Amazing. all sorts of just ridiculous job titles and silly ideas they're coming up with. And apparently, I, I know people who work in the BBC and they say they can't watch it because oh, yeah. it's too true to yeah, real yeah, life, yeah, yeah. which I find somewhat I'm, scary. I must say some of the meeting culture stuff that I've kind of experienced both in the past and in the current life. And I would say, yeah, it's it's pretty scary kind of how you can, that kind of me yeah. too thing can kind so, of be So you do really find true. yourself, you find yourself watching a half hour episode and the end of it thinking, I don't think anything's actually happened <laughs> in that last half hour. I think I've just wasted half an hour. And yet... To bring it back to the point, it was an incredibly restful thing oh, to do. Absolutely. It was just to watch trashy TV that takes the mick out of your own industry uh, is actually really great. Yeah. <laughs> and I recommend it. Yeah, it's actually just worth listening to just purely for David Tennant's kind of a voiceover track on the entire thing. I mean, that man's delivery of those lines is just absolute genius and how he doesn't you know, kind of manage to kind of guffaw laughing and every every one of them is, is quite a shock to me. But no, W1A, uh, it's in the third season, I think I'm oh, right. Was it the third? Yeah. The third the season. I could find the second on Netflix. Uh, I couldn't find the first. This is the third season on TV at the moment. And interestingly, I think they're doing like an episode ahead online. Yes. So you can watch it on normal TV, but you can also get the next episode ahead. On the line. On the line. Yes. <laughs> on the iPlayer. That's something that with an app, I think, yes. involved. Um, yes. If you know which app that might be, then if you can let Ruth know how to use the internet, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, <laughs> we much appreciate strong. that. You can let us know by contacting <laughs> us uh, through all manner of different means. Uh, you can do it on Twitter through at the media net. You can also just send a message directly to Ruth about you know kind of various uh, devices that might help her uh, search, <laughs> search things out. Go on the Google. On the Google. So if you can work, if, if you can work the Googles, if you can work the tweets, if you can work the Facebooks, then you can find us in all different sorts of places. We have a few good things that you really should check out. Obviously, if you're not already signed up to come to the conference you can do that go get tickets it's at the media net on twitter it is themedianet.org over on the internets that's where you can get your tickets and you can also join us in a facebook group so that if you aren't able to make the conference but you want to kind of connect with other christians in the media up and down the uk and further afield uh then go search out the group it's called christians in the uh sorry christians in the media uh in the uk and it's on facebook go join that and you can also connect with us as well so all of that coming up this week we've got a big week and we'll be also capturing some great interviews there at the conference on thursday so if you are around you see one of us with a microphone come say hello we would love your feedback on the show and also i would love it if you would do us a favor if you would go and like and subscribe to the podcast if you are listening to it now that's now then you probably are doing that somewhere through one of those many apps that's an app really um, and that app might be on your phone or some other means but you can find us on soundcloud on itunes on google play go give it a like and a subscribe share it with your friends just send it to somebody that you think would enjoy the show it does wonders for helping other people hear the show and means that we can keep doing it which we enjoy thanks so much to sam and ruth thank you thank you for joining us once again uh, i've been james polter you can find me on twitter at james polter you can find sam at sam Hales. and you can find ruth at ruth j jackson if you've got questions or feedback let us know and we will see you all hopefully on thursday at the church and media conference but if not we'll see you back here next month for another episode of signal from the media net thanks for joining us
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.